Well, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church, everyone. Like Adam said, my name is Christina Cooper, and I am the Family Ministry Director here. And it is going to be an awesome Sunday because we are in the middle of this really cool series, The Big Story. Because so far at Downtown Harbor Church, we've had series that are centered around people like Jesus or Moses or Paul, but we've never answered the question, how does this all tie together? What does the timeline look like? And even more, how does it all point to Jesus. And so in week one, Adam talked about a man named Abraham, the guy that God chose to be the father of the Israelite nation, the, the blessed descendants that would come from him that would lead to Jesus. And one of those blessed descendants is his grandson, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, one of them being Joseph. Joseph was the guy in week two we talked about. His brothers sold him into slavery. And through a series of crazy events, he ends up then becoming second in command in Egypt. And because of his relationship there, all the Israelites end up coming to Egypt during a time of a famine. Now, when Joseph passes away, it was fine for that time, but when Joseph moves on from earth, then we end up having this situation where the Egyptians turn the Israelites into their slaves. And so for hundreds of years, the Israelites are crying out to God, and that's when God sends them a man named Moses. Moses, Adam talked about last week. He was the one called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt in this great exodus, and that's where we had the frogs and the plagues and all the just crazy things that happened in that event that led them out of slavery onto their new promised land that God had prepared for them. But where we left off was Moses passed away. And where we pick up today is with a man named David. I've got to tell you something, though. A lot happened in between Moses passing away and David. And what we say here is, you know, as we're going through this, this series, we only have 28 minutes on a Sunday. And so we are not able to cover all of the incredible details and events in this big story. And so I'm going to kind of catch you up to get you to where we are today. But as always, we encourage you to dive deeper on your own. Where we pick up today is a time where, yes, the Israelites, they made it to the promised land. And they were kind of setting up shop. They set up a government. They set up societal laws. There were, you know, battles and wars and just great stories and all kinds of good things happened in about a span of three to four hundred years. But then a time came where Israel looked at the nations around them and they wanted a king. They didn't have a king. That's just not the government they had. And, and they asked the Lord, we want to have our own king. And so God answered their request, and he used a guy named Samuel to do it. Samuel was this prophet, and he was really close with God. He actually got to speak directly, like one-on-one -on -one with God. And so God used him to go anoint the next king, and that next king, very first king of Israel, was Saul. Saul was a good-looking guy, the Bible says. He had, like, done really well in war, so he was pretty prominent, and he was the one chosen to be the first king. And he did all right for a little while. But the scripture says that he started to fear the people's opinion. He really wanted to please them. And so he started to prioritize their opinion over God's. And so he didn't listen to God in some instances. And when you don't listen to God, sometimes that leads you to make some poor decisions. And he did. And he lost God's favor. So God had Samuel find him a new king. 
Now, I know we just like blazed through all kinds of history leading us up to this moment where we're going to meet David today. So I encourage you to buckle up as we get to know our guy from the Bible today. So Samuel, as I mentioned, he's in close relationship with God, and God says, okay, I'm going to send you to the man of a house named Jesse. And in that house, I have picked for myself the next king. So you're going to go find him. And so Samuel heads to the house of Jesse. Now Jesse, when he sees that Samuel is there, you know, he, Samuel's a man of high honor. So he gets all of his sons lined up and they, you know, wants to present his family to Samuel. And when Samuel walks in, the very first guy that he notices is Eliab, which is Jesse's oldest son. And the oldest son was the strongest, he was good looking, and Samuel says, surely this is the guy that the Lord has chosen. He's like thinking that. And that's when God says something that I think is really cool. He says this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I love that because God was looking for something special here. It wasn't just a resume or the oldest. He was looking for a guy after his own heart. And so Samuel keeps going after the oldest. He goes to the next son, looks at the next son, looks at the next son. God hasn't said this is it yet. He keeps saying, nope, nope, nope. And Samuel's thinking, okay, I get a little nervous because he runs out of the seven sons that Jesse presented to him. So he's like baffled. He's like, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Are these all the sons that you have? And that's when Jesse answered, oh, well, there is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. And so Jesse goes and gets him. And sure enough, right when David comes in, just because God was looking at the heart didn't mean that David was like haggard in appearance. No. The, oh, this young boy's name was David. It says that he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. You know, what's interesting is some translations even say, which I think is funny, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Now, Theologians debate and debate about what David could have looked like, but there's a general consensus that he looked something along these lines. And it was also pretty much concluded then that at the time, men who looked like this were very jealous of David and the like. But I digress. And so David comes in and the Lord says, and rise and anoint him, this is the one. Now, sidebar, this was way bigger than the people at the time realized was going on. There was an even, even bigger story that God was painting in this very moment. For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So in this very moment when this young shepherd boy is being anointed king, God is already pointing to Jesus and painting this big story that starts in this very little moment in this town of Bethlehem. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. And it was great. It was an exciting time for the family and Samuel. But we have to realize something. Saul was still king. And David was young at this point. And so he doesn't become king right away. But we get to see through stories and the scriptures tell us a lot about his life before he becomes king. And in fact, I think it's what tells us what is so special about David and why God chose him. Because one of the stories, kind of David's first big story, if you've been around the local church for any time, you've probably heard of it. It's called David and Goliath. 
David versus this giant, this giant from an enemy camp, this warrior. And the Bible says that he was over nine feet tall. I mean, this guy was massive, and he was scaring all of the Israelites. None of the Israelites wanted to go up against him. But David, when he saw what was going on, he was impassioned. This young boy was impassioned, saying, if we're supposed to defeat him, God is going to win. Even if it doesn't make sense, we've got to fight because we are on the Lord's team. And so David, this young boy, decides he's going to fight Goliath. And the crazy thing about it is he was so young and untrained, the Bible says he couldn't even wear armor. So this is what it says. David's getting ready for battle. It says he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So you've got this young boy with a sling, a couple stones, going against this war giant. And the Bible says he ran quickly against him. And then, I don't totally know how this works, he slung his stone, hit him right, I would, I would not win, he hit him right in the forehead. David, or David hit the stone, Goliath fell face down, dead immediately. David slayed this giant. And he put himself out there because he knew God would be victorious for him. It was an immense act of bravery, an act of faith in the Lord, and the whole nation realized. They were like, who is this kid? Who is this awesome guy with faith in the Lord? And they actually, this put David on the map, and they chose him to be in charge of the Israelite armies. Thing was, he kind of got almost a little too loved by the nation because people came up with this phrase and started dancing and singing in the streets. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Whoa, now let's take a step back and remember Saul here for a second. Saul is the king and suddenly people, his people are in the streets singing this about some kid. Saul is furious. He, you know, suddenly starts to become very frazzled, wondering what is happening to his people. Saul becomes very scared of David. And furthermore, Saul becomes very jealous of David. The scriptures say, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, that's a subplot, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Saul was like obsessed with David. He was obsessed with jealousy for this guy. And he became so self-conscious as a leader and consumed with David that he like kind of started to spiral. In fact, Saul repeatedly tried to kill David. Repeatedly. I mean, David would just be in the palace. And there are two times the Bible documents that Saul tried to hurl a spear at him to catch him off guard and kill him. And so David becomes really concerned for his life and runs away. And you'd think Saul might stop there, like maybe he has better things to do running a kingdom than chase after this guy. But no, even when David is on the run, Saul gets army men to go with him to chase him down and try to capture him. And it's not just like for a month. Saul does this for years. And so David is on the run, hiding in caves for years until finally, one day, Saul was with his men, but the Bible says he needed to relieve himself. So he took a pee break, and he went into a cave to do this deed, 
and it just so happened to be the cave that David was hiding in. Coincidence? Well, when David's men see this, they say to him, David, this is your chance. Finally, we can stop being on the run. Finally, we can get this enemy of yours. Call it a day. Go back home. And even for David, finally, you can be the king like you were promised years ago. Finally, David had the chance to kill Saul. But what he did with that chance is pretty interesting. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Look at the way David's talking about Saul, my master, the Lord's anointed. It shows tremendous respect for authority, even though it's authority who's trying to kill you. I mean, David just shows great integrity. He shows that he understands the Lord has Saul in this position right now, and one day that will be me, but I'm not going to force my hand and, and take it until it's God's timing. It's just incredible integrity despite, you know, being in this horrible state. And God's timing did come through for him because a little while later, in a battle, Saul died, and David became king. And it was a great time as king. The Bible says that David was king for 40 years. King David was mighty. He became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. King David was passionate. The Bible says David danced before the Lord with all of his might. King David was adored. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. And King David was unstoppable. The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. I mean, it's, it's this amazing life that he lived, this amazing kingdom that he had established. But he wasn't without faults. I have one more story to share about David. And like I said, it's just amazing when you look at his life. I mean, the bravery that he showed in slaying a giant, the integrity that he showed in not killing his enemy when he had the chance to. He was loved by people. He literally had success wherever he went. And yet all of this in a moment of weakness unraveled. And how did that happen? It was with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. You see, it was about the time that it was spring, and the Bible says the kings would go to war at this time. All the men were at war. And despite that, David decide, decided to stay home. And he was up on his rooftop looking out one evening, and he saw in the house next to him a woman bathing by the name of Bathsheba. And, you know, context clues tell us since she was bathing, she clearly looked very gorgeous to David. And, and David remarked how beautiful she was and summoned for her to come over despite being told that she was married. And he didn't invite her over for just a fancy dinner with the king. Unfortunately, events transpire, and Bathsheba becomes pregnant. What you don't know is Bathsheba's husband, his name was Uriah. And David knew Uriah. Uriah was David's one of, top, one of his top soldiers in his army. So this quickly becomes a scandal that David feels the pressure to cover up. This guy of integrity that we just talked about is now scheming up ways to try to cover up 
this pregnancy. And so unfortunately, we see David come up with plan number one. And he invites Uriah to come back from the war. Kind of like pumps himself up as this great king. Like, Uriah, take a break. Come sleep in your bed. Sleep with your wife. Enjoy, like, you know, a quick break from the war to recharge. However, we all know what David's true intentions were, but they were to no avail because when David went to his house the next morning, he saw Uriah sleeping on his doorstep outside. And David's like, Uriah, what are you doing sleeping outside? And he says that he did not feel right enjoying the luxuries of home while his fellow soldiers were out there fighting. Uriah proved to be a very principled man, but that was unfortunately not what David wanted. And so what's so sad is we see David go to plan number two. And he writes a letter to the army leader saying this, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. When I read this, you know, I was just like, I just studied the life of David, chapters and chapters of this great man, this man of great integrity, and then you see this? It like, it's like, it's not even David anymore. And that's the thing is when we fall victim to our temptation or to our weakness and go down that rabbit hole, you start to lose who you are and what makes you you. And that's what we see here happening with David because it happened. Uriah died out there at war because of David's command. And Bathsheba then becomes David's wife. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It greatly displeased the Lord. The, the chapter goes on for, for the Lord to just show how disappointed he is in what David had done. And this is the first time David had ever disappointed the Lord like this. And what it tells us is David was imperfect. Just because David was anointed did not mean that he was immune from sin. Just like us, just because we say yes to Jesus doesn't mean that we are immune from the temptations and weaknesses in our lives. And I don't know about you, but for David, we, we see from this story that his weakness was power and it was lust. Maybe for us, that weakness is greed or it's cheating or lying, or maybe it's the appeal of wealth or status, whatever that is, it is so important that we recognize weakness in our own lives and, and be on alert for it. Because when we fall victim to these things or when we slip into these weaknesses, there are real consequences. David had to deal with very real consequences. I mean, just to name a few, he broke up a family. He broke up this wonderful family at the house next door. Not only that, but for the rest of his life, he would have to live with the fact that he cannot undo killing an innocent man. There are real consequences when we make unwise decisions. But that's not where we're ending our story today. The point of today is to point out that God still used David. It doesn't make an excuse for doing unwise things because there are still real consequences, but it's important to note that the story does not stop there. God wants more. He doesn't want you out of the game and out for the count because of a mistake you might have made. Because he did not toss David aside. No, he went, he went further than that. God kept his promise and honored his name despite that mistake, honored his name, and allowed Jesus to come from his lineage. 
We see God's promise to David in 2 Samuel. It says this, God is talking to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will rise, raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish his, talking about Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So God gave David the greatest honor of his descendant being Jesus, and we see that God kept it because in Matthew 1, 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And then in the verses following, it goes on to prove that going line by line of descendant. Now, what an amazing honor, but God didn't just redeem his life beyond the grave. He redeemed his faults while he was living as well. In fact, he redeemed that relationship between David and Bathsheba. This union born out of lust and deceit and scandal and even murder, this union born out of such a mess, God allowed to give way to something so beautiful. Their second son's name was Solomon. We're going to actually talk about Solomon next week because he is this great guy in history. Solomon was recorded as the wisest man to ever live, the wisest man, and he was a great king. There are so many great things that come from his life, and you would never guess that his life came from such a mess of a story. But that's what happens when God is in your life. He takes mess, and he makes it beautiful. And so what do we do with that? What's the practical? We see that happening in David's life, but how do I apply that to my own life? Well, our practical today is to just believe our bottom line with your full heart. I challenge you to open your heart and mind to what God can do with you, just like he did with David. And that's why our bottom line is this. Your life will be far from perfect. God can still use you. Because look, we all make mistakes. I mean, there, there are times that you're, and I hope maybe some of you are not in the midst of it right now, but I'm pretty sure we can all think of a time where we just felt low, where a mistake we made got us down and we thought, oh, we're out of the game. God can't use me right now. Look what I'm in the middle of. But that is so the opposite of God's heart for us. I mean, look at the people he used in the Bible. That's why I think it's so interesting that the people that the Bible is full of is imperfect people because I can assume, pretty sure, that none of us have done what David has done. And yet, look at the honor that he gave his life. Look what he did through his life. God wants to redeem your situation. Even when you feel like you're at the lowest of lows, God can work in and through that in ways that you would never imagine. And in ways that I think would never happen if it were not with God. That's just who God is. He can take anything broken and make it so beautiful. And so that's my challenge for you guys today, is to believe that with your whole heart, open up your mind and see where God might go if you allow him in. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the story of David that shows us all that you are capable of in our lives, the grace and the love and the forgiveness that you give us that is so against common sense and just so against what sometimes we feel. But I praise you that that's the kind of God that you are. 
You want to redeem us. You want more for our lives. You don't want us to get out of the game and sit ourselves on the bench because we think we just can't. We're not worthy. Because, God, we know that you want more for us, that you can do beautiful things with the life even when it's muddled and messy and broken. I pray for every single person in these seats today that you would speak to them in a specific way, God, and that you would work in their lives, encourage them today, and show them the hope that they can have when they are with you. I pray this all in your name. Amen.